I love veterinary medicine. I love it a lot. But I thought, well, it's no good if, if it's hurting me. So I walked away and I, at the time, thought like I was bitter and frustrated and angry and hurt and thought, well, that's it. I'm done with that. So why can't Locum Life work for vet techs too? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders community online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today, straight out of Canada's Yukon, is Julie Kerr, an RVT who had other jobs before veterinary technician, got her degree, burned out, then unburned out with a new life of crafting her job. How? Locum work as a vet tech. But first, Julie, the origin story. How did you get to be a vet tech and wind up in the Yukon? Hmm. That's a great question. So I went to school at SIAS, which is in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That's the Saskatchewan Institute of Applied Science and Technology. Um, they okay. changed their name, but that's where I graduated in 2012. I came into the field later in life, actually. I graduated at the age of 35, so it's a two-year program, so I guess I must have started at 33. And I didn't actually know that I enjoyed working with animals until I was in my early 30s, I think. Yeah, so it was a surprise to me how much fulfillment I get out of working with animals. And so after some thinking, I, uh, I guess I went back to school and, and got my education there and entered at 35. Did you always love animals, but it never, I don't know if that's, you just never considered a career in it? So my biggest struggle, when I was graduating high school, what I knew for sure that I wanted to do was travel. I wanted to go and live life. And for me, I tried doing some secondary education. You know, I did a year here and a year there and, and explored some things. I had a really hard time thinking that, gosh, I've got to do more school and I've got to sit here in a classroom and then at some point, I can go start living. I just, I struggled with that. And so I just went and traveled around and got jobs and went to really neat places that I wanted to explore and uh, would just work whatever and go and see and do and live. I was pretty busy <laughs> doing that and and really getting into like backcountry adventures and hiking and things like that and really exploring that about myself and the world. Like I always communed with natural animals, I suppose, and really observed wildlife whenever I was out doing those things and have a lot of respect and awe for them. But you're not really, you know, you're not connecting with them the same way that you do with domestic animals, obviously. So I really didn't know. I really didn't know at that time, I don't think. Are you an RVT and LVT? What are the letters you like to put after your name? I am an RVT. Okay, you're an RVT. Mm -hmm. You got your RVT and you got it in Saskatchewan. And then did you stay there for a long time? No, I, okay. my family is in Saskatchewan. So when I was going to school at the time, it just made sense to go to Saskatchewan. I was familiar with SIEST and the University of Saskatchewan, which that program yeah. does the last semester there at the vet college. So I was familiar with a lot of things there. If with my life at the moment, it made a lot of sense to go there. But despite being born and raised on the prairies in Canada, I have mountains in my soul. And so I knew that when I graduated, I would be going anywhere in Western Canada that had mountains was my goal when I graduated based on what jobs were available and how I wanted my life to look. And uh, I ended up in the Yukon. I'd been up here before and it was on 
you know, my, the top of my short list for places to go after graduation. Is the number one draw rugged mountain terrain? What is it you like best about the Yukon that kind of... It's lack of oh, it's so many things. It is rugged landscape. So partly it's mountainous, partly it's lakes, partly it's yeah. a low population in humans. So if the biggest population is in our biggest city, which is Whitehorse, if you leave Whitehorse, you've left everybody behind. So it's very easy <laughs> to be... And I like people. I just also like not being around people <laughs> when I'm out doing outdoor adventures because people adventure differently than I do. And um, I don't necessarily want to be around the noise of other people's adventures. I don't begrudge people that, but you know, I know I want to be 10 kilometers in the bush with just the sounds of nature around me. So it's partly that low population. It's partly, I find that most people that are up here, we really live quite close to the land. There's a lot of value for our surroundings, for the natural world for the animals that are here and that kind of resonates with me quite a bit I guess it's all of those things yeah and there's not a lot of paths there's not a lot of you know you can easily find your own adventure and you don't have to stay on the path there's not a lot of rules about that here in the Yukon so where you grew up in Saskatchewan was it urban suburban semi-rural how would you describe it uh it was pretty rural so I grew up in a town of 1200 people and we lived about a kilometer outside of town. So um, definitely rural. It's farming country, but it's farming country. So there's lots of fences. And as you would expect, lovely area, but um, it's harder to just go and be free out in the mountains, I guess, just because it's it's more owned land. It's yeah, more organized, I suppose. So at the school you went to, was it also focused on very much mixed animal or had it over time slowly narrowed into no most of the people are going to go work on cats and dogs what was your program like there? Uh, my program was definitely quite mixed yeah we definitely focused on four main species dog cat horse and cow uh for sure okay. we did a lot of uh, did a lot of labs and went out to clinics to do not externships but going out to get hands-on experience at, at mixed practices uh-huh. getting out with all of those species and so I'm trying to remember now if the expectation was that, oh, well, most people will probably graduate and go to to small animal, but I don't think so. We had a lot of my classmates that were very keen to be in mixed animal practice and and hopefully they were didn't really want to work on dogs and cats. So there was a pretty good blend, I think. And what was it like? How was that school? How did the um, kind of the, the client and patient mix you got to do and whatever you want to call it, those externships, those hands-on chances to go out in the community and do work? How did the client-patient mix differ from that to the work you do now in the Yukon? I don't think it differs at all, really. I guess, unless you mean which species. Like in the Yukon, we're mostly dog and cat. Okay. And with horse, quite a bit of horse. We don't have a lot of big farms. So we have a lot of people that have, you know, they have some sheep, they have some goats, they have some cows, but we don't have the big, big agriculture up here. So you do get a little bit of all sorts of different species, but it's um, certainly quite different than Saskatchewan, I guess, in that way. We're not we're not serving a big farming or agricultural population. Do the clients who come into practices you're working at, do they feel, do Yukon clients feel really different than the time you had with Saskatchewan clients? Hmm. I don't think so. And now, to be fair, I spent most of my time when I was in clinics in Saskatchewan as a student. And so everything was, <laughs> okay. you know, quite awe-inspiring at the time. And, and <laughs> I probably didn't have a good sense of that. I think yeah. most folk in the Yukon, yeah, they're pretty, in a lot of ways, they're like anywhere 
anywhere else, especially when we're interacting with each other in that business sense and dealing with our pets and what have you. And and now as I go out and do other things, I'm I'm out in British Columbia in clinics more. And sometimes that's in quite urban places. And even with White Horse being quite large, I would not call it really urban. Okay. In comparison to somewhere like Victoria or Vancouver or things, you know, those those really big centers. I think we're pretty resilient and pretty um, flexible in our attitude, but um, that might be the only difference. Maybe. <laughs> I'm actually not too sure on that one. But We talked earlier and you said, I mean, you mentioned maybe there's, I just thought the number was staggeringly small. There's like two major veterinary practices in the Yukon. And I'm like, holy moly. Yeah. So then as a veterinary technician, how do you get a job as a veterinary technician in the Yukon? <laughs> what a great question. And I've been thinking about that since we talked. And so in Whitehorse, there are the two major clinics. And then up in Dawson City, there is a a veterinarian who, um, I'm not very familiar with his practice, but I believe he does things like vaccines for the the population up there, which is about five hours away, and will stabilize emergencies before they come down to Whitehorse. But I believe he's not a full service clinic. So, So yeah, here in Whitehorse, there's two major clinics. And it's, I guess, like a lot of small places that are remote geographically, you would work at either one clinic or the other. And that's kind of your yep. option. So, you know, and then depending on how long people are staying there, or what have you, there may or may not be jobs available. Okay. So I think I'm leading the witness because I think originally I stumbled onto you because I thought it was very interesting. Like, holy moly, a locum tenens vet tech. I thought that was really interesting. So either you made the decision or the decision was made for you because of circumstances like, well, you're not going to just get a full-time job at one of those two major practices. How did you sort of decide that? Or how did that come to be? And then how did you start trying to figure out, well, who would pay me to, I think you talk about, you've got to be flown to these places far away. Who's going to pay you as a locum tenens vet tech to go fly out somewhere? Yes. Those are all amazing questions. And I'm, I'm still figuring (laughs) a lot of that out. So thank you for asking. Um, I appreciate it. You know, I came up to the Yukon. I think if we got a sense there, I'm a traveler at heart and I like to go different places and explore different things. And when I went into veterinary technology school, I thought that I would be able to continue doing that, but then have a profession behind me was kind of my plan. And then I moved up to the Yukon and this is home. I've fallen in love with the Yukon and I don't want to travel and I don't, you know, like I still travel, but I want this as a base. This is where I want to live. The community resonates with me. I've built my own community here. I don't want to go anywhere. And I'm, you know, that's a little confusing to somebody who's been a traveler at heart my whole life. So I was up here. I was working full time in the clinic, really learning, growing, you know, coming from school and then going out into the world and having to grow. It's, you know, it's pretty challenging. It's a pretty steep learning curve. And then I did end up experiencing burnout, I guess. And I did, I did leave the industry. And at that time, I didn't have any thought in my head really about what I was going to do. And can I ask right there, so you mentioned, so for you, you can be as specific or as general as you want, but for you, what what did burnout feel like or look like for you? So there's some point at which you decided, I can't do this job anymore. And so you're like, I'm out. So what happened? Where were you? What was going on? Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know at the time that when I was still in clinic, when I was working, yeah, I didn't know that I was burned out. I didn't know that I was burning out. It wasn't until after I left and started to heal oh. and was doing other things that I started to reflect back and think, you know, I'm still not really okay. And I feel like I should be now that I've left that job or that workplace. And I thought that was the problem. And I was like, hmm, 
And so I started exploring some other other things and learning resources to figure out what was going on with me. And that's when I started to realize, geez, I think I was dealing with burnout. And then that set me on an exploration. So coming into that, you know, if I had to say, I think it was a two year experience where I was trying to activate for change and advocate for myself and Mm -hmm. look to seek solutions. And, you know, it's very busy. Like the practices are very busy up here, just like they are everywhere. And they always have been. And that's fine. And I started to, on top of all that, I guess, start experiencing quite a lot of frustration. I am not a person that really accepts that there's no solutions or no changes that can happen or no changes that are necessary. So I was feeling like um i think i was hitting you know hitting a wall and just thinking yeah. well, i want to live here and if i don't work here well then how different is it going to be at another veterinary clinic in town likely there's going to be you know because this is veterinary medicine like the the place that i worked was great doing great medicine i mean i can't say like it was a wonderful place to learn and grow you know and what am i going to do and so it's like well i wanted to try and make change from the inside because i really believed in the place that i worked and the people in the the team and what we were doing and i was just getting you know frustrated i suppose and then um on top of being really busy yeah it just gets to get on top of you and then i started to get irritable not happy with my work day not happy with you know maybe my colleagues or myself or the clients and and everything's just kind of building up on its on itself feeling frustrated at my you know lack of ability to make changes to my schedule or have any control there and it all just kind of and like i mean honestly now when i look back i'm not sure i even know all of the things i it's hard to tease it all out cuz it was just such a tangled mess in my head so it was only after you know, I left and I didn't want to leave. And I didn't know what else to do because I knew that I wasn't, I knew that I wasn't okay. And I knew that I wasn't getting better. And I knew that I was just getting more and more and more of all of the things frustrated and irritable and recognized that I needed to make a change, but didn't want to make that step to that change because being able to stay in my home in my Yukon, in my community was tied to being able to work in that job. And I felt really trapped with like, either I have to leave a profession that I love, or I have to leave a home that I love. And so all of that combined was just this storm of, yeah, not easy things. So I did finally, and it was very scary. It was not a very easy decision to make. And it caused me a lot of grief within myself, within my community, within my, my peer group, for sure, too. I just, I quit. I was like, I can't, yeah. I'm not okay. And I don't know why. And I think I need to not be coming to work here right now. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And so I, yeah, that's what I did and decided with well, the choice that I made and the only choice I was capable of making at the time was to choose my community and my home and this place that I love. I knew that was my most important thing at that time. I, I need to be here. So that's how I made that decision. Was there a period of time where you said where you got out of veterinary practice and so you weren't working as a technician? Did you go try other things or was that never enough? No, I, I did because, of course, you need to pay your bills. And I was all, right. <laughs> all very well and good and fine that I have given myself space to heal. And I didn't I didn't know what that was going to look like. The only thing I knew is that I needed to heal. And yet I still didn't know at that time that I was burning out or I had burned out, which I think is interesting now. And so I actually got a job at a local wildlife preserve, Uh 
who does rehabilitation, but I didn't end up working with a veterinarian on staff there. I was working up in the offices in public education. So I did, I feel like I was not doing veterinary medicine and I wasn't in clinic. And I felt like I had walked away from that. I'm like, this is obviously, I can't do this. Obviously, I'm not strong enough to be in this industry. Obviously, I'm not okay to do the things that are required. And obviously, I need to go and do other things. And I will do just about, like, I'm pretty adaptable. I can do just about anything to make my life work overall. And UConn is where I wanted to be. And I had a lot of sorrow for having spent so long educating and building my skill sets. And like, I love veterinary medicine. I love it a lot. But I thought, well, it's no good if it's, if it's hurting me. So I walked away and I, I, at the time thought like I was bitter and frustrated and angry and hurt and thought, well, that's it. I'm done with that. And at that time, like I would say it took me 18 months to heal. And for at least the first year, I was like, "Mm -mm, it is over veterinary medicine. I don't want anything to do with you. So at that point, you're just grieving the loss of all this. I can't ever go back to this, but I spent all this time to do this and it's close to my heart and now it hurts. So you're grieving this. I was definitely grieving and, and mostly grieving my connection with animals. Veterinary medicine is so good for me. The connection with animals is so good for me. It slows me down. It it makes me patient. I'm very patient with animals. <laughs> I'm not as patient with people, but I'm very patient with animals. And that connection, what I get out of working with an animal and working for the best way to make them comfortable and calm and in a setting where they're scared in a vet clinic is yeah. very fulfilling for me. And like, there is nothing else like it. What else is like that? And now I was working in a job that was educating people about wildlife, which is very important and also I think is important. But I was working in an office and, you know, if nothing, it's hard to get excited in an office because at no point is there anything even remotely like life and death. Like, like I think it's <laughs> true. And some people love it for that you know, reason. If, but If this meeting gets delayed till Monday, like nothing's dying. It's, it's hard for me to get excited, right? Like, which doesn't mean it's not important. It's just, you know, and so... Yeah. And so I wasn't working to my passion, I suppose, is what I was learning. I mean, I learned a lot of great and interesting side skills there that I wasn't actively looking for. But yeah, that was definitely, yeah, that, so that was a process. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. So what happened in that job when you finally sat down 
and said, well, I'm not going to work at practice A in the standard way I used to work there. And I'm not going to work at this other practice B in the standard way they do there. I'm going to try this other thing. Did I say, yeah, drop into your lap? Or you're like, I think I could try this and bitch this. Yeah. So I think that when I first left clinical medicine, I think I had a vague thought in my head that maybe like locumine would be a good idea. And I could certainly, like there were no locums, there were no casual RVTs in my community. And I thought, geez, like if we could bring in people to cover so we weren't always running short and always getting pulled in a million different directions and, and being you know required to do jobs that are like three different jobs in addition to mine, you might have some longevity for people in a community. But that was a very vague and then like, the full force of, oh my goodness, I am dealing with burnout hit me like a freight train. And so then that was long gone. And I was like, no, I'm just not even gonna, I'm not even doing that. But fast forward about a year and a half, and I started to think, ooh, like, I'm really missing my hands on animals. And I'm really missing the fascination of medicine, (laughs) all the interesting things that go with that. And Yeah, and recognizing what I was going through and recognizing how many people in the industry go through burnout, um, I thought locamine would be, like it would fill my cup and it can help other people. And I originally was thinking I could do it in town here. And I also thought, well, I'm going to maintain my job here. I have a colleague in Southern BC and I'd been discussing things with her and I thought maybe I could go and locum for a week or two a year just to keep my hand in, just to keep my skills fresh is what I was originally doing. And and then as I was looking at that, I started to be making all sorts of plans. And I thought, my goodness, I think my brain is planning for me to do this full time. And like, what do <laughs> like, it was sneaking up on me. And I actually went to a conference in Niagara Falls, the Ontario Association of Veterinary Technologists conference in March of 2020. And when I flew out there, to Toronto (laughs) to go to that conference, the world was fairly normal. And when I flew back, the world had completely altered. And like, I mean, there was toilet paper on the shelves in Whitehorse when I left. And when I returned, I was like, huh. (laughs) (laughs) The COVID lockdown just exploded while you were off at your CE. Yeah. So what I had been doing, my brain was like, I think we could do this full time. And I was like, Oh, that's crazy. How am I going to do that? I don't know. I went to this (laughs) conference and I was excited because there was a presentation by a locum RBT there. Of course, Ontario, where she is locuming is much more populated and concentrated. So anyway, and I, so I had all these ideas and I was like, you know, you go to a conference with your peers and you just get all, you know, you get all jazzed up and it's very exciting and inspiring. And I was like, I'm coming back and I'm going to locum. And I came back and there was a pandemic (laughs) (laughs) And you can't travel. And, you know, in veterinary medicine, we work so close. Very few clinics were wanting to bring in outside contractors to work with their teams because they're having to protect their teams and do the bubbles of the teams, which is totally fair. And I thought, I guess I'm not doing this (laughs) right now. And uh, where I was working at the Wildlife Preserve, they were really good at trying to keep on our core staff. And, you know, because I'm an RVT uh, with training, I was able to be part of the backup in case the the vet and her team went down. They were able to cross train. And mostly that was for husbandry more than anything, rather than than treatments or anything like that, because they weren't doing a lot of, it was mostly husbandry. So at that point in time, yeah, I was trying to locum 
locally through the summer. But again, the clinic that was right at the beginning of the pandemic and the clinic that I was contacting here locally was hesitant to bring in a contractor, which is completely fair. And so then I went through the winter and I thought, well, okay. And vaccines came to the Yukon earlier than most places. We were part of the northern distribution of, of vaccines. And so I had my vaccines by the beginning of March 2021, and I knew it was coming and I was making plans. And I, I was like, I like I once I'd made that decision and then trying to wait and wait for the world to shift was I was like, OK, I've got to figure this out and go and do this as soon as I can. And also at the time, the, well, all of my colleagues and peers are just getting so busy and learning to do curbside and they're short staffed and like yes. it's just crazy and I'm like I have these skills and I can't use them and I can't help and I have skills and I want to help and yeah trying to balance that you know best not not to be the vector going clinic to clinic taking COVID like here you go you're welcome everybody I'm here versus going to help that was that was its own time for sure so fast forward to I think February of 2021 I had put my plans in motion. I had spent the intervening year while I was waiting doing things like, well, I'll put together a website because that'll make me feel like I'm building my business or I'll get my business license and I'll get business cards printed and not really knowing when I'd be able to do and actually go and do those things. And in the meantime, I'm starting to feel quite a lot of professional stress because here's a, you know, I wasn't planning, like here's another year, I suppose, where I'm not using my skills. Like, so now I'm thinking, I'm going to go out and locum. Can I even take blood? Can I place an IV? Do I remember what anesthetic is? And of course you do, but you know, you don't want to be out. If you're going to be coming back, you don't want to be out forever. And it, you know, certainly when I was walking away, I really thought that was it. And that was over. But then once I decided I was coming back in, then it's like, well, (laughs) I definitely don't want to be like, if I'm going to do it, I need to, I need to be coming back. And so, yeah, April, no, yes, April 2021 is when I, I started locamine. And at the time, it was still, I was hesitant to get on flights. I was hesitant to, like, who's going to hire me to fly down. And I, I it really felt like a barrier. So what I chose to do was pack my car and get six months worth of locum gigs in British Columbia, which is where I'm, I'm registered. Okay. And I traveled down and was gone for six months to really get my business going and really get my get back into clinic, really get refreshed and really figure out what I was doing and how to do it. So you could, you basically set up this little, almost like you're a musician going on tour to make yourself yeah. available. I'm going to be available for six months to all these practices in this area and try to drum up some people, some business. So they know me and then, you know, they'll bring you back. Yeah. Yeah. And also if I was going to travel like nearly 5,500 kilometers round trip, I wasn't going to go and then <laughs> have a week's of work and then not right work you know I'm like if I'm traveling by car it needs to be worth it for a lot of reasons so yeah that's what I did and I had actually I had my that I think I worked for five just over five months but was gone for six months between like travel and okay all that stuff but I had like there was a lot of demand and it was actually overwhelming the demand that was coming at me Okay. I didn't want to ask that because I was wondering if within the standard business model, locum veterinarian, totally common, but not always super. I mean, there are floating techs around Mm -hmm. in any place, 
but you kind of have to word of mouth and you ask mm-hmm. around and who's around. Yeah. Did it feel harder or easier to be a locum RVT or was it like, nope, there was no question. The managers knew how to deal with it. The teams knew how to deal with it. Or was it weird? Weird. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> and um, locum RVTs do exist, but, and maybe it's the places I've been at. Maybe not everywhere has used a locum RVT. So lots of places, almost everywhere I've been to, they definitely know what to do with a locum vet. And for overall, I would say a lot of clinics don't necessarily know exactly what to do with a locum RVT. You know, I was at a clinic for nine weeks last summer. And at the end of it, I was handing out business cards because I was trying to be brave and be a businesswoman. And I'm (laughs) figuring that out. Like, ah, so I handed my business cards and I said it was for my business. I'd been there nine weeks and the vet looked at me and said, your business for what? (laughs) And I was like, my locum business? (laughs) And and that really made me laugh. And it kind of just, yeah, it really just captures what you expressed there. Um, I would say that I think that there are other locum RBTs out there. And I do meet people who are doing kind of a similar idea to me. But what I find, I think, is that a lot of people who are, are locuming as RBTs are perhaps casual staff of a hospital or they are you know, they're in a larger center and they just have a particular driving radius. And so, yeah, which isn't like, it, there's no rights or wrongs or harder or, or easier or anything like that. I just, I'm not, I haven't met a lot of people that are doing exactly what I'm doing, which could be just that I haven't met them. What I did because I'm not, okay. So I spent most of my time, if I can, like in a tent in the middle of nowhere, I think I'd mentioned I'm quite introverted and I really enjoy the outdoors. This sounds perfect. This locum thing where you're going to suspend all your time trying to hang out with new clients and and new strange staff all the time. It just sounds perfect. And networking. Yeah, it's just it's really hitting all my strengths. All right. So networking. I'm not fabulous at networking. I'm getting better. And I had one colleague in Southern BC who I'd worked with here who had moved down to Southern BC. And so I had been talking to her and I hadn't been very active with my RVT association. I was starting to get more reaching out, asking questions. And so I I did this website and like, I don't do social media. It's not a thing that I do in my life. And so I built this website because it was one of the skills that I kind of learned I didn't really build a website. Sorry, I used, I like got myself something together. So I have a website. I can't really say I built it. Anyway. You customized it the way you I, wanted thank it. Based you. On yes, some, yeah. that's okay. what I did. I was like, I was like, just in case anybody wants to know, I did not build a website. <laughs> <laughs> Use your words carefully, Julie. And at this time, you know, I thought, well, my idea with having a website was that it's like an online digital resume. And uh-huh. this way, if I'm trying to contact when I'm sending out my emails to practice managers, I can say, you can just reference my digital resume, which is my website. Yeah. It was my idea. I wasn't planning because in my world, I or in, in the veterinary world at that time, I really didn't think that like people aren't Googling locum RVT and then like they find you and that's how like, what do I need to have Google hits and SEOs? Like I don't, but I have a sister who's in social media. And she strongly, strongly, strongly recommended and encouraged me to get on LinkedIn to do professional social media to promote myself, pr- network, promote my, mm-hmm. my website. And so shout out to my sister, Michelle. Uh, she was right. <laughs> Thank you very much. And so I started getting on LinkedIn. And what I was doing was reaching out to any of the digital conferences that were going at the time, 
and reaching out to um, a lot of the reps and getting myself known. And my first locum did come through that, one of those connections. Oh, wow. So I went to an online, one of the first online conferences. It was the OAVT one, one year later. And they had a really neat, like the meeting rooms where you have a little avatar and you just go and you meet and you you drop into a, a Zoom call. Yeah. And so I ended up meeting uh, meeting a rep for one of the larger companies, like a talent acquisition person, and said, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And he got me in contact with the local BC rep. And they're like, well, we need somebody for this six weeks. And it was like, it was several weeks earlier than I was prepared. I was like, maybe at the end of May. And I was I was like, I left my home April 13th. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> You were almost going to turn it down like, oh, that's not, that's, that timing is uncomfortable. Well, yeah, because it was very scary. I was, you know, like I'm dropping in as a locum. You have to, you're not a new employee. You're, yeah. you're dropping in to, to go at quite a high level. And I was really, really conscious that I had been out of practice for three years. So there was a lot of things that just felt very scary. But that's how I did it. So first of all, word of mouth networking and then like a, a former colleague is what got me my first few locums but I very quickly filled up my time and then once I got going and I did more networking and there was more word of mouth and maybe practice manager A spoke to practice manager B people were contacting me but I was completely filled up for the the season that I was going to go yeah I had to be really careful to book myself in a a bit of a like a little break in between some like not just to go place to place to place because now I was in control of my schedule. So I had to be mindful that I shouldn't just overbook myself. So I think you've hit on some themes that relate to the next question I'm going to ask. I mean, thinking about, you know, some confidence stuff, you have to be confident. You got to be able to jump in. You have to be willing to network. You have to be willing to reach out in ways that probably the average veterinary technician does not have to network much. You Go find a job and then you stay at a place and that's how the standard thing, but this locum thing, just like if you were going out to consult, it kind of demands something different. I know you've just started, but has anybody come to you for advice? I mean, do you have advice for <laughs> RVTs, LVTs who are thinking about starting this up? Like something you didn't know before you started that's like, ah, it's much harder than I thought it was going to be or, yeah. oh my God, you have to do this. Yeah. I do actually. So I have built myself quite a network on, on LinkedIn. And I say that because like from somebody who's spent her whole life, not having social media for me, it's quite a network. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that big, but it's, <laughs> it is. It's big for you. It's big for me. Yeah. And I do in fact have people reach out to me on, uh, I'd say a semi-regular basis and ask for, for questions and ask for advice. And I, I'm happy to share my my knowledge and what I've learned. I mean, what I do isn't necessarily going to work for anybody else. And, you know, one of the biggest things with confidence is knowing your value. I certainly, when I'm speaking to clinics who will reach out to me and they do really want me to come and help, or first they want to offer me a job. And then when I say, well, no, I, I'm happy to come and locum for a short period of time, that doesn't, doesn't always fit everybody's, you know, budget or their expectations or their needs. And that's fine. But, you know, sometimes people get a little bit like, what would we do with a locum RVT? So just really knowing the value that you bring in. And I think too, that a lot of that, what I hear anyway, is not so much that they wouldn't value having somebody in. It's they're thinking, well, we'll have to train you. And if you're only here for three weeks, well, then like people are thinking of you as new staff rather than, of course, no, I'm coming in at a really high level. And no, I'm not going to know all of the ins and outs of all of the policies that your hospital has. But 
that's not what I'm there to do. Like I'm there to come in and provide RVT services and that that is what I will do. And you're not going to have to do a lot of training. You're just, you know, I'm coming in as a professional consultant, right? So, so I guess knowing the value, knowing what you would be offering to clinics, knowing yourself well enough to know and really explore <laughs> what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, what you're still growing, what you're willing to grow, what you're not willing to grow. Like what what is it that you're willing to do and not willing to do? What are you good at? What are you not as good at? Recognizing that every single clinic and hospital does veterinary medicine differently. And, you know, you can be at clinic A and they can say, we want the RVTs to do that. Please do that. And then you go to clinic B and they say, whoa, what are you doing? And then you go to clinic C and they're like, why aren't you doing that? And so you have to not, like, you have to really just be able to communicate. And if you're not good at communicating, that's fine. But really recognize that you are the person who knows that all these things are different. People who, especially if they have worked at just one clinic, and there's lots of people right. so and have worked at a few different clinics and they've seen some different things and they've seen different ways of doing it, but lots of people haven't. So if I ask a question, I have to often clarify like, oh, well, I'm not asking what to do. I'm asking, how do you prefer it here? Because it it really does it does matter and it does differentiate and you know you want to be in and you want to be building that trust because one of the things about veterinary medicine is that you as an RVT you're building relationships and you're building trust with the other RVTs with the assistants with the, the DVMs and what that takes is time and experience to build those relationships and what you don't have as a locum or at least with shorter term locums you don't have that time to build those relationships so being able to communicate and articulate why you're asking or what you're doing differently or have a conversation and be willing and open to do it, potentially do things a little bit differently, or at least have a conversation about it and be willing to try different things. Because that is one of the great values of locamine is that it is expanding my skill set in ways that I didn't really foresee happening. Got questions for this locum RVT? Visit her at juliekerrrvt.com, J-U-L-I-E-K-E-R-R-R-V-T.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.